Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. In today's podcast, we're going to continue our conversation about human trafficking, which we began in the prior episode. This includes a frank discussion of sexual abuse and exploitation. This might be painful and triggering for some listeners. Please consider carefully before tuning in. If you feel in crisis or worry that someone you love might be, please call 988 for assistance. To quickly review, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. Every year, millions of men, women, and children are trafficked worldwide, including in the United States. It can happen in any community, and victims can be any age, race, gender, or nationality. To learn more background on human trafficking or to hear the first part of this conversation, please refer back to our prior episode. For now, we're going to continue our conversation with several members of the Long Beach Human Trafficking Task Force. We have Teresa Gomez, Human Dignity Program Manager with the Long Beach Health and Human Services Department. We also have Mariah Sayway, survivor, mentor, and advocate, and Mary White, CEO, both from Gems Uncovered, a nonprofit offering street outreach and aftercare services to victims of human trafficking. Last but not least, we are joined by Francesca Douglas Franco, founder and executive director of Human Save, a nonprofit that offers prevention, life skills training, and mental health treatment to trafficking survivors. Welcome to part two of our conversation. Mariah, I'm going to start with you on this one because you alluded to it as you were speaking earlier. What are the dynamics that keep victims from leaving? You're in the public, you're going to school, whatever else. Why not just ask for help and run? Um, there's, you know, a lot of things can be distilled on in a victim um, or a survivor of trafficking. Um, fear tactic is, is one of them. Um, when I was scared to... Uh, leave officially um in the beginning um is because I got picked up um at my mom's house where I was living you know and so even after I had made it back home um 
I was scared to go outside and I would get random calls saying, hey, I have your stuff, just come outside. Um, it was scared to walk my dog through the neighborhood because I would get people honking at me um, and people turning around and me just knowing, okay, I'm just a target at this point. Um, th there's lies, there's manipulation, there's uh, people don't care about you. You're only... Um, you're only good if you're here with me, um, you know, or, or, or don't worry, we'll make it out of this. You know, I really love you. Um, or simply really just getting beaten to the point of you don't want anyone else to go through that and you don't want to get beat again. So you try to stay with what we call in pocket. You try to stay in line so that, um, that this doesn't continue to happen, even though it's going to continue to happen. You're just completely broken on how, to really reach out and get help and how to try to, it's not like you just have the access to call 911 and say, Hey, I need help. And, you know, how long are they going to take to get there? How long um, are they really going to be able to save me? Like, you don't understand that the fear that's distilled in you until you're actually in that situation that um, it's kind of like the escape rooms that you watch, you try your hardest to get out, you get out, but that guy is coming pretty soon. So what are you going to do? And, you know, how scary to know, even after you left, you're not safe. They're still, they're still looking for you. Oh yeah. Even after I had gotten engaged, they found my um, Instagrams and my Facebook and were like threatening my husband and um, reaching out to me and commenting all over my engagement pictures. And it was just, you're always going to be seen as, as the product to them, the product that got away. I had a, a client once who was very much a victim of, of trafficking. Um, and part of her reason for not leaving is because she was, in fact, although 12, uh, supporting her family. There wasn't enough food in the house if she weren't still um trafficking is that a dynamic that you see in your work so that kind of went hand in hand with what I had went through um, a lot of it some of the clients that we had I wasn't a c-sec um, victim um, so I wasn't a child sex trafficking victim um, I had just I was groomed at the age of 16 but I had barely just turned 18 when um, I was taken from my mom but our situation was a little bit different. My mom went into a surgery. Um, she ended up in a coma. Um, and we were welfare babies. I didn't have a father in the house. So once I hit 18, um, no money was coming in from the state. We were getting eviction notices. Um, Mary, um, Mary White and um, my church were coming together to try to pay the rent while she's in coma. Um, just so her kids could have a roof over their head, but that couldn't last forever. So um, even after I had gotten away, it still took me some time to um, stop working at a club because there would have been no, no, we were already at one point um, just living off of food banks. Um, you know, we didn't have TV, we didn't have internet. You know, we only had a cell phone bill because I was able to afford it. So those things do come into to play when a lot of at a young age, a lot of pressure gets put on you um, and people around you, no matter the age, are depending on it. So and I then, know. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say and then think of now how easily accessible people are via Internet. 
um, and things like OnlyFans and telling a kid, you know, during the pandemic, hey, you don't need to go work out there for $100 a day. I'll pay you way more than that. And you just have to record yourself on your screen. Um, and it's, it's I'm going to assume, a very different feel than walking into a room with a bunch of live creepy people versus just easily selling, you know, videos or pictures of yourself. Um, and when we're talking about escape, I think we also have to start talking about uh, the gray areas. You know, up until recently, the, the No Such Thing as a Child Prostitute Act, I think that was in 2016. I mean, that's 2016. I know. So what does that say about our culture and pedophilia? And, you know, 12-year-olds are getting thrown into juvie for being prostitutes, right? Can't consent to sex, but you can consent to being sold for sex. I mean... It doesn't make sense, but at the same time, doesn't it in terms of how we sexualize our youth? And so we're lucky locally in Long Beach to be able to have law enforcement that is um, knowledgeable about this. But how about in places where the cops just laugh at you because you look at how you're dressed? Of course that happened to you, right? Like that is the ugly, ugly truth. There's a lot of gray areas in this. And I think for me personally, a lot, one of the most difficult things I've come to terms with in doing this work is realizing when people are not educated on this and they don't have the knowledge to be compassionate, that a lot of service providers can actually re-traumatize and really hurt um, survivors and victims, you know, therapists or social workers that just continue the victimization process because they don't understand um, what people have been through to get to the point that they're sitting in front of them. They don't have the humility to switch places with them in their, in their minds and in their hearts. There's nothing that feels worse than having your, um, your story, your, your, your real life story be downplayed. You know, all it does is re-traumatize you. Like, you know, because there, I, 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 this is what I think. I think 100% of traffickers are narcissists. They gaslight. They are um, people who are manipulative down to the core. And so when that is distilled in you and you finally get away and you finally are trying to um, make light of the situation and speak up of it, and then your story is downplayed, it, it can just trigger red flags on you again. I mean, absolutely. And I remember talking to a judge not that long ago, it was probably around 2016, 2018. And she was talking about, you know, what she, she worked in juvenile court. So um, she talked about how for years they had prosecuted minors for prostitution and what a game changer it was to realize they were not prostitutes, they were victims. And it's um, shameful to think that it took us to 2016 um, right. to understand that point, understand that hugely important distinction is, is definitely, a, I think, a dirty secret of our society. And we need to talk about it more. Um, Mary, I want to turn to you because I, I know or I think I know that your organization works quite hard to um, 
sort of anti-recruit, um, encourage people to, to seek help and to leave their circumstances through outreach efforts. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about what the outreach process is? How do you find these victims? How do you elicit their trust? And um, how do you get them to feel the hope to, oh, maybe I can leave this life? You know, we have a street outreach that we do every week, and we go to a particular area where um, prostitution takes place. And we are adamant about being there every week faithfully, consistently, and reaching out to them, providing them with prayer. But we also provide them with a gift bag, a small gift bag that has has a little gift inside of it, but also a card. And we explain to them there's a card inside that if you need help, call this number. And so what makes it um, believable, I guess, if you will, is the consistency of our being there. We're not just a one-time thing. It's every week we're there. How are you doing? We meet the same women. You know, I know that a lot of them are sent to different areas, but a lot of them come to the same spot. Um, So we just give them the idea that we are we are who we say we are and we'll do what we say we'll do. And that not only is for the street outreach, but it's also for the program that we offer. It's a diversion program and it's called free to be me. And Mariah is a main part of that program, along with the services that we provide from human save and from Pacific gateway, which is, you know, um, um, work opportunities and education tattoo removal, but what these young ladies are looking at are, will you be there like you say you will be? And they could call us at 2 a.m. in the morning. I know Mariah's gotten calls. I've gotten calls. They have something to say. Will you be there to hear what I have to say? And we're there. We're there. If we say we can get them connected, we will get them connected. And we won't let go of that provider until they do, until there's something that fits. So they test you to see, are you who you say you are? Once that once that trust is built, then they will rely on you 100%. And they will give their all in trying to do what is going to make it work for them and their children. That's uh, really amazing work. And Francesca, do you have anything to add to that? Um, in terms of street outreach, no, because we don't do that. But in, you know, as you know, in terms of therapy, it's exactly that. The consistency, the connection, meeting them where they are, not pushing or prodding or trying to hear the story or you know, get down to the nitty gritty of like, hey, we just met, but what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? Um, you know, sometimes sitting in silence, I'm sure you've experienced as well, just being there, being safe. This is how you know when you're finally getting across to the um, people that you want to get across to, which is our victims. We normally would have people come in from the courts that would be assigned to us um, and we would work with them to, um, in order for them to not be charged with anything. They would sign up for our program. We would enroll them. They would graduate, get the services they need. And um, by the end of the program, what we're hoping for is a full 180. Um, but because of um, SB 357, 
was passed, um, we weren't having anyone come in from the courts because no one was getting any tickets or anything like that. We had a huge year last year, which was amazing. And these were all walk-in referrals, word of mouth, because they seen how good their friend was doing or their sister was doing or their cousin was doing and wanted that. They wanted the help. They needed the change. And so they came into the organization on their own because they seen the trust that that person had within, you know, it's all about breaking chains. We've had people come in that had brought more people that had brought more people. And next thing you know, it's just, you're getting an overwhelming um, amount of, of people coming in saying, I, I need help. I want, I want what they're having that, you know, there's, I'm seeing success in them. You know, they're not having to be on the street anymore. They're not having to do this. They don't have to live in their car. Like I want that help. So that's when you know you're starting to gain the trust of the victims that are around you when they see there's there's actually a difference in the people that are receiving the help from us. So let's say someone is at that point, they're coming in, they, you know, that difficult journey to say, okay, I'm ready, I want help now. It's got to be a really difficult path to recovery, not just psychologically, but in all aspects of life. Um Starting with you, Francesca, and then we could uh, move to Mary or Mariah. Um, what types of services and interventions are are really essential to a victim's recovery? Going back to what we've been saying for a while, I think that the most powerful thing is that connection. Because again, that's the thing that made them the most vulnerable in the first place, right? Um, you know, and it's not always because somebody or a parent is you know, evil or trying to be mean or doesn't care about their kids. Sometimes it's just the matter of that general cycle, uh, generational cycle of trauma. And they don't know how to connect with their kids. They don't know how to keep them safe. They're so deeply into survival mode that uh, having a conversation after an eight hour workday or a longer workday because of multiple jobs is just not feasible or, um, you know, being able to connect in that sense is just not something that's within their repertoire. So, whether it's therapy or uh, mentorship with a program or um, anything else, it's that human connection and that real vulnerable trust that you're building in that relationship uh, where you can really see this person for who they are and beyond all of the worst things that ever happened to them, but to who their their heart is, you know, what they want, their dreams, their goals, and all of the hope uh, beyond those things that happened. For sure, if I could, if I could add a little bit to that, um, really quick, all the services that Mary uh, and Mariah and Francesca mentioned are all part of the program, My Sister's Keeper. That's how the city has this collaborative of providing services to our survivors. You know, the city gets funded through the board, um, California Office of Emergency Service and the Department of Justice for this, to have the coordinated services available to the survivors, which is, you know, like Mary said, is the tattoo removal, the um, employment services, the case management, the program, the curriculum that GEMS offers. You know, a part of uh, my sister's keeper that we added recently, which is really amazingly um, effective, is the mentoring program that Mariah does, because that's something they asked for. We want a, a peer mentor somebody who has gone through this whole process 
you know, and has come out, you know, amazing like Mariah has. And then, of course, the trauma services. So all of this collectively is what contributes to that success, you know, that we all connect and we talk and we exchange, you know, the information and the referrals, you know, and, and this is just in addition to the additional people that um, just are referred through other resources, through the outreach that Mary does too. I mean, they are all doing amazing work beyond this too. Thank you. That's a that's a really great clarification. I appreciate that very much. That that we're actually in a city where these services are coordinated and and there's collaboration around serving these victims. That's hugely hugely important. Um, to that end, I would love to hear a success story. Um, is it can be a client that you all shared or. Uh, Mariah, you're obviously a success story in <laughs> in your own right. Yeah. But um, uh, Mariah, do you want to share a success story of someone you have worked with? And then Francesca, I'll turn to Human Save and see if there's one you want to share as well. There's three off the top of my head. Um, one who had came in um, and her uh, sister had noticed change in her trafficking had run deep in that family, um, they had lost their mom to it. Um, so it was very, um, very deep rooted within their family. Um, but the sisters seen a change. And from that one, that one coming in, another came in and then two more on top of that came in. Um, and they all graduated. Now they're working. Um, they, um, got apartments. Um, they are off the streets. Their kids are in school. Um, we have one client, um, these are two different sets of sisters um, that uh, when we were assigned with them, um, she came in and she brought her sister and um, they both had kids, um, one kid each and were living in their car um, and they were on the run from their trafficker. So they were fleeing. Um, we were able to, um, get them into an emergency shelter, um, transfer them from county uh, to a different county so they wouldn't be recognized. Um, and one sister completed the program immediately within that first um, four months of our program. The other sister didn't, she had a little hiccup. Um, and the next go around, we, uh, she actually graduated a program as valedictorian and um, had told us that um, in her speech, she said, the one thing that I will never forget is even when I did mess up, um, I would get messages back that says, it's okay, we still believe in you. Let's let's try again. Um, and now both of them have a uh, their own two-bedroom um, apartments. Um, they both work. Uh, they both have uh, new cars. One um, just graduated a case management class. Um, so now she will be in the social study field, um, trying to help other um, people who uh, not just not just uh, sex trafficking victims, but DV victims as well. Um, and you could see the total change in these these girls, they women, they they grew up to be just turned around and really, really came back on top. 
Excellent. Thank you. I love those stories. Francesca, do you have one you would like to share? Sure. Um, a couple come to mind, but one that was very powerful uh, was a survivor who came to us shortly after leaving her trafficker who uh, I think abused her from her um, early teens and she married him and had kids with him and they were together for like 20 years. Um, and when she came to us, she mainly wanted to be reunited with her kids. Uh, she didn't have a job and she was unhoused at the time. Um, within the course of, I'd say, 18 months, uh, she had a great job, uh, had an apartment, a stable apartment, uh, got her kids back, um, and then was volunteering at a foster somewhere with foster youth. She was a former foster youth as well. And that was amazing. Um, that was just amazing. And then another one that I can think of is one of our earliest cases where uh, some siblings, I'm trying like not to give away any identifying information. It's a little bit, it's like hard. Of course, um, of course. It's hard. <laughs> um, so siblings, three siblings who were pretty young, um, and just recently, so we've been seeing them for maybe five years, um, and they were sexually exploited online by a close family member, and that was very difficult, especially for the mom, because the mom was related. Um, and we'd been seeing them for many years. The mom put herself through nursing school, and, um, you know, they moved recently to another place, and... Um, the kids went from being aggressive or having maladaptive behaviors related to trauma to being like star students in, in their classes and thriving and being happy and joyful and hopeful. Um, and they had the same, pretty much the same therapist all those years. And, you know, she was so excited. The therapist was so excited, like, wow, we've tapered off to, you know, every other week and then, oh, once a month and now just check-ins. And it's like the most joyful thing ever when, especially when they're kids, you know, that you can see the spirit, you know, just this unbreakable spirit and uh, resiliency and joy and hope and all of those things restored uh, after such horrible things have happened. Absolutely. Thank you. And I, I want to quickly share a guidance center success story with the purpose of really highlighting for our mental health providers out there, don't assume that because you don't specialize in human trafficking, that you do not see human trafficking victims. We may not use those words, but we should. And the reality is, if you're a mental health provider in community mental health, you have victims of trafficking on your caseload. So we had a young woman, she came to us at 19, actually, um, as a welfare to work client, um, a CalWORKs client, she had, but she had been trafficked by her own mother at age 10, um, had a baby at 16 as a result of her victimization. At 19, she'd left that situation, but she was unhoused living with her son. 
and was trying to get custody of her minor sister because she wanted to save her sister from those circumstances. So we worked with her, did a lot of therapy with her, with her son. She got a job. She got housed. She was able ultimately to get custody of her sister, who was, of course, struggling as well. We brought her in, treated her as well. And our original client is currently in graduate school getting her master's in social work. Um, and it's an amazing outcome, but what that glosses over is the tremendous courage and work this young lady had to do to get there. And, you know, kudos from the bottom of my heart to all survivors who have the just the resiliency and the courage and the just strength of character and belief in themselves to um, try to get to that point. And, and Mariah, I'm just going to own, this is a shout out to you too, not just for the, for surviving what you went through, but that you're now paying it forward. Like what a story. Um, I think people like you and your stories are really important for all of us to hear, to really understand things that are happening in our community. And, but there are amazing lights at the end of those tunnel tunnels. If, if people get the right support. And, 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 you know, just to piggyback off what you were saying is that you'll see that, when a survivor is ready, because you're not, you don't just get out of life and you're just like, I'm ready. Um, even though you're asking for the help, a lot of the times when the survivor, they have a child, um, their whole thing is I want better for my child, but they don't understand that the child can't have better until the survivor wants better for themselves. And so the minute they start putting themselves first and knowing their worth um, so that their child and um, family could have better is when you'll start to see that turnaround in that survivor because she puts herself or he puts herself first knowing that if I help myself to get better, then everything else will get better instead of just worrying about someone else. That's, that's such an important point. It's like you put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Right. Um, Teresa or Mary, do you have success stories that you would like to share? Teresa, I know, or I believe that most of the direct service happens with our nonprofits here, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. No, they're the experts out, you know, doing the work. So definitely, I'm sure Mary has some. I do. You know, thank you, because this person was on my mind and, um, you know, we just don't service locals. We service people from out of the country, out of the state. And this particular person came to us. Um, she was one that was just placed on my heart immediately and she needed housing and we got her housing and she was just mentally upside down. Just a lot of things that happened to her because of being trafficked. And she was in her 30s. And, um, you know, I reached out to many of my um, uh, partners in the field of human trafficking. They said, Mary, if she's not going to accept services, then you're just going to have to let her go and give her a list of services that she can reach out to. 
And it didn't set well with me because she was not mentally able. It's like letting a toddler go out on the maiden street, knowing that if they go out in that street, the car is going to hit them. And so in that gut instinct, I worked with Francesca and together we just collaborated. How can we get her the mental health that she needs? And so we worked with a, a, a Oasis and they had a mobile unit that came out and Francesca was, you know, on top of it. She made the connection. I was there with the shelter folks. And so they came out and they did an evaluation. And because of that evaluation, she was able to get 5150, but get the help and the medication that she needed. And I stayed with her. Um, it was a matter. She would call me every day, every day, every day. And I wasn't really sure. What do I say? How do I speak to her? And it was just that connection, just someone that she knew was going to be there and pick up that phone. It was someone she could trust to get it. We found her family. She hasn't been with her family for over two years. They, we were able to reunite her and get her back to her homeland to where now she's continuing to thrive and still getting the help she needs to overcome what has happened. And that just wouldn't, that is a success story because she's now back with family. If I took, you know, the the feedback from some others that said, just let her go, she probably wouldn't be living today. It would be that simple to be picked up by a trafficker and restart the whole situation again. Of course. And I love that that story is a collaboration story as well. Um, agencies working together. Um, Cause I, I think, or the sense I'm getting is that that is really vital um, in this work. So to that, how can we help as a community? If I could add to that, um, Trisha is, first of all, I think it's important for the community to be aware, to really educate themselves on Human trafficking. What is human trafficking? How do I identify it? You know, what are the local agencies doing work? How can I volunteer? You know, we are all part of the Long Beach Human Trafficking Task Force. We had a big event, an annual event called the YES event, Youth Empowerment Safety Symposium, focused on um, bringing awareness to human trafficking for youth, middle school, high school, and for parents and caregivers and educators. So that's an annual event we have in January, but it's important, really important that they understand what human trafficking is, number one, because there's not much you can do if you don't understand what you want to get into, what you want, what needs to happen, what needs to be done, where can your time and expertise best fit into this, but there's a lot of work to be done, and if you want to get educated on this, if you have a neighborhood association, a PTA, you know, a school that wants awareness, you know, contact us and through the Long Beach Human Trafficking Task Force, somebody will be assigned to do a presentation for you. And it might be one of us here, including others. So that that is one of the first steps I think people need to take to really get involved and understand what it is and how to be, you know, active in eradicating this. Thank you. Um, that's that's really important. Um, you know, this is tremendously difficult work. You have highly traumatized clients whose very autonomy has been taken away from them. 
Um, I end all the podcasts on a bright note, by the way. Um, at the Guidance Center, we hear horrible stories, but we believe um, in the helping fields, you were a place of hope. Um, so I, this is a question I'd like to hear from each of you. Uh, Mary, I'll start with you. What are the bright sides of this work and what still gives you hope? When they want to come back and be in, continue to be in the program, even though they've graduated, they uh, are so happy about just graduating from something, but they say we, they want to come back. They still want to be in the program. That tells me that they gained hope, that they see a light, that they can make it, and there's people they can trust to make it happen and work alongside them. Mariah, how about you? That the full 180 that you see in the girls from coming in with their head down or having a hood on to coming in laughing, uh, leading the conversations, um, you know, understanding each other's viewpoints, um, you know, the things that you see in their eyes. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Um, they're, you know, girls when they 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 come and they're they were in their car with their kid and now they have their own apartment that we have helped them get and um helped them furnish you know and just the achievements that they have accomplished within this short period like four months um to someone who takes a class might seem like it might take a long time but it goes by quick and some of these girls, they forget everything that they accomplished. So when they call me and they're having a downtime and then and, and not feeling like maybe they're not moving at a fast enough pace or that, you know, other people are moving at a faster pace, you know, I will, I'll tell them, I said, you know, what did we talk about when we set your goals? Let's go back to the day ones when we set your goals, you know, pull out that list. So we go over it and I said, look at all the things we have accomplished since you first got here and they'll look at it and they'll say, Oh my goodness, I don't need, I, I forgot that I accomplished all of this. And you can see the wheels turning their head. Like, okay, I can keep going. I can keep going just because I hit this little wall. doesn't mean anything. I can keep going. You know, we tell these girls when an obstacle comes in your way, when we set a goal, um, we're supposed to write it out because the obstacle is not meant to stop you. It's meant to slow you down, but not to stop you. So what are the steps that we take to go around it? So when you see their gears going, their head saying, okay, I know what I can do. You know, just that hope that it, it, when you've seen someone come in hopeless and they are leaving every time after a phone call, after um, a Zoom meeting, after meeting in person, after going and getting coffee, that they are filled with hope every time. And uh, Francesca? What gives you hope? That's beautiful. And Mariah, perfectly said and very, very true. I think all of us here are really lucky to be able to see the process, you know, where law enforcement, they see them on the worst day, they pick them up and then it's like really, it's really sad and you don't know what happens. Um, but for us to be able to walk hand in hand with them for as long as they want us to be there and, and get to see that transformation is amazing. And then on a personal level, I'm so extremely grateful to be surrounded by so many people who have these amazing hearts. I mean, Mary, the success story that you shared, um, I was that during that whole time that we were working together on that. I mean, you pushed for that so powerfully because of your tremendous ability to love a complete stranger and to give your entire heart and soul into helping them when everybody else was saying that it was hopeless, you know, like that value for human life and human souls um, and, and working with this amazing team 
meeting people like you, Trisha, who've dedicated their entire careers and, and, and life, you know, your spirit to this profession, to helping other people that you'll, you don't really know and you may never see again. But that is just, I'm so lucky to be able to, to meet so many people like this. You know, I get to know that the world is a better place than what I had thought before. You guys are moving me greatly. I just have to say this. And you're sharing all the things that I think about our profession as well. And uh, Teresa, how about you? What gives you hope? What gives me hope is seeing so many organizations step up, you know, whether it's churches, you know, law enforcement. Law enforcement is now very victim-centered when they work with victims of trafficking, where in the past it wasn't a victim-centered approach you know, as to what questions you ask and how you treat the individual as a victim and not as a, a criminal. That, to me, that gives me a lot of hope. But to see them thrive, you know, little little things are big. That to us might seem small. I mean, to seeing their faces of a survivor graduate from a program, like from Mary's program, when they have a sash on and a graduation gown, and you see, you know, how they've changed internally, their self-esteem has grown, that they're much more, you know, than what they thought they were. They really are. The self-esteem and the love for themselves is what gives me hope. And the fact that we get the funding to support this is always great, you know, that we can bring these amazing organizations and people together to continue that collaborative is always great to have. I have absolutely loved this conversation. Um, as complicated of a topic as it is, I have really valued this conversation. I think the four of you are just remarkable women. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the work you're doing, but uh, also that I got to meet you. Um, thank you for sharing your incredible life work with us, for educating us about this. I honestly believe that talking about human trafficking is one of the first steps we can take to preventing it. Um, you know, let's bring this out of the darkness. Um, let's talk about it and let's make a difference. And I just really appreciate all four of you. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for this opportunity, yes. Trisha. It's my position that by shining a light on these issues, admitting that they are in our own backyards, it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help. Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by The Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Trisha Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.